Hey folks, I realize that some of you may not know this, but I have a podcast production company. Uh, actually, it's a podcast production and marketing company. But uh, yeah, I we produce podcasts and and market them. <laughs> Obviously, it's called Podcast Royale, and you can check it out at HelloRoyale.com. And I'd love for you to check it out. I, I realize that, you know, since I'm not actively going after sponsors on this show, I can talk about my own stuff because it's my show, right? Okay, anyway, check it out if you're interested in growing your podcast or launching your podcast in order to grow your business. All right, let's do the show. All right, how's it going, guys? Welcome to The Gently Mad. I'm Adam Clark. I'm your host. Thanks for listening. If you are a new listener and you started with last week's mini episode, I apologize again. That was a weird intro. But here's the thing. I'm a huge fan of Mark Maron, and I've been listening to WTF for years, and it gets in my head. You know, I I have a hard time starting this show because Mark's voice is in my head, and every time I try to start it it sounds like how he starts his show and so then I have to redo it and then I redo it again and by the by the time I'm on like my fifth take then it just sounds weird you know when you say a word over and over again and suddenly it just sounds really weird that's what starts to happen and then I and then I just get disgusted with myself and and give up so so I apologize for the WTF similarities if I have some of the the Marin enthusiasm in my voice it's just because I'm a fan, okay? And yeah, that's all, that's all I've got to say about that. This week's episode has been a month coming. Um, intended to release it a month ago, but, you know, shit happens. It's been busy. It's been a very, very busy month. I have been working on my new business, which is, a, ironically, a podcast production and marketing company, and we've just been super busy and I haven't had time to do my own show. I've been recording, just haven't been able to edit and release these episodes. It didn't really dawn on me that I could use my own company to edit my own show. So, um, yeah, maybe we'll do that in the future. But uh, this particular episode is with Rob Walling, and it's all about freedom, folks, and that is not a July 4th reference. It really is all about uh, freedom. And the different kinds of freedom that we kind of go after as entrepreneurs. And I really enjoyed it for that reason. I'll get more into that in a minute. But I did want to say thanks for listening. And thanks to all of you who go to iTunes and leave ratings and reviews for this show. I appreciate it. I really do. I'm not after anything big here. When when, when I did this show years ago, I mean, this show's been going on for years, but... Back in 2015, I really was trying to make a business out of this thing. And I'm not really doing that anymore. So it doesn't really, you know, the the money-making potential of the Gently Mad isn't really what matters to me at the moment. But, of course, I like it when people like the show. I like it when it is helpful. I like it when it means something to someone. So I really appreciate it when you guys email me and let me know that you have enjoyed it or it has meant something to you or helped you in some way. That's the best. That's better than the small amount of money I I might be able to make off the show at this point if I tried to. So anyway, T 
TGM is going well. You know, the podcast is going well. The course is going well. Podcast Royale is going well. Everything's kind of going well right now, which is weird that I'm still pretty depressed about everything. I, I laugh. I, I chuckle. But it's it's real. I mean, it's true. I, I mean, I am. And it's 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 really weird for things to be going okay. Nothing, you know, majorly wrong right now. And to still, still feel kind of just, eh, you know, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about life. Just, eh, I don't know. It's, it is what it is. That's where I usually end up is it is what it is what it is. And you know, that's all it's ever going to be. That's pretty uh, defeatist. And I apologize. This is a week of celebration, right? Well, you know, I, I've, I've officially, even though I'm, I'm still not quite 40 yet, I've officially cashed in my grumpy old man chips. Some would say that I I cashed them in when I was 12, but I feel like I've officially cashed them in now because like, I don't even look forward to shit like this anymore. You know, July 4th rolls around. And what am I thinking about? Thinking about rednecks and fireworks where I live. There's quite a proliferation of rednecks and you get them together with fireworks and nothing good happens from that. And I think about the noise of the fireworks that wake up my two-year-old daughter and, and scare the living shit out of her, which annoys me. Everything annoys me, you know? I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm about to be 40 and it's it's the age, stage of life thing. I find myself with less patience than usual is what I'm trying to say. And maybe it's a phase. I hope it's a phase because I don't like being so stressed and annoyed at people all the time. That's what it comes down to. I just realized that maybe I just don't like people that much. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I just, maybe I just as a species, I'm not a big fan. There is quite a lot going on right now that one could look at and maybe not feel quite so bad about not being a huge fan, but I'm not saying that's where it comes from. I'm just saying I'm definitely in that grumpy old man phase. You know, I just want people to leave me alone. And for goodness sakes, be quiet. Why can't there be any quiet? Okay. And I don't want to, I don't want to go down that road. We'll be here forever. (sighs) Anyway, things are going well. I hope they're going well for you. Hope you're having a good summer. Hope your job, your business, hope all that stuff is going well. Hopefully it's going as well for you as it is for me and that you are normal enough to be able to appreciate it and feel grateful instead of just still continually obsess about the things that aren't going well. All right. Enough of that. As I said, Rob Walling on the show today. Many of you probably know who Rob is. He's somewhat famous within the entrepreneurial world. He is the founder of Drip, which is an email marketing company that he sold to another company called Lead Pages. And before that, he was a programmer. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's had this kind of journey that a lot of freelancers want to want to go down and want to make a product and turn it into this successful business and then sell it and then reach a point where the income money isn't really an issue anymore. It's not something that they have to think about too much. 
But as you'll see from this conversation with Rob, it's, it's you know, the, the things you think you want don't always end up being the things you really want, or at least they don't provide for you the things that are going to make you feel whole, you know, complete. And that sounds cheesy, I know, but I mean, that's really what it's about, right? We're all trying to find some sort of meaning or purpose in the things that we're doing. And a lot of us uh, still aren't there. I'm not there. I don't know that Rob's there either, but I think he's uh, closer to it. Anyway, we had a good conversation. I I intended to talk about business stuff and, you know, how he grew Drip and sold it and all that kind of stuff. We didn't really get into a lot of that, to tell you the truth. It was was more personal, which, which is actually, I love that. That's actually my favorite kind of TGM episode. But we did talk a lot about that whole meaning and purpose stuff and how important that is. Talked a lot about relationships and friendships and freedom, as I mentioned before, how important those things are. And uh, yeah, it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I think think you're going to love it too. All right, that's it. I, th- I think that's all. Oh, Teethpocalypse. Yes, Teethpocalypse is happening tomorrow. Well, it might be happening tomorrow. My whole summer has been ruined by the constant rescheduling of getting my wisdom teeth extracted you'd think it's a fairly straightforward thing but you know i feel like i'm brokering some sort of financial deal here to just get these fucking teeth pulled out of my head but hopefully it's going to happen tomorrow that's that's the official word now is that it's happening tomorrow and then i expect to be in a good deal of pain for a few days and then be back to normal that's that's a good case scenario i'm i'm not a big fan of the dental, the dentists, not a big fan of the dentists. I mean, they qualify as people, right? And we've already, I've already discussed how I'm not a big fan of people in general, but especially the dentists, you know, I just, uh, I don't like it, but I got to do it. And, you know, I kind of hoped that, you know, these issues in my mouth would, would take care of themselves if I ignored them long enough, but doesn't seem to be how the teeth work. So anyway, I've got to get my wisdom teeth pulled, and it's happening tomorrow, supposedly, unless it gets rescheduled again, which is entirely possible. Hopefully it goes well. Hopefully I don't die. I don't really think I'm going to die, but I'm, I'm just not a big fan. So I'm a little nervous, maybe a little bit more than a little bit nervous. All right, I'm a lot nervous, okay? But it's happening. It's got to happen. There's nothing I can do about it. One thing I can control is getting this episode moving, right? Okay. I hope you have a great July 4th week vacation, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rob Wally. Uh, watch like a lot of documentaries or when you say Netflix you're talking about like zoning out and watching a TV show or are you talking about more like a a, a little bit of both and when I if I'm going to watch a movie I'm not going to if I'm going to watch a fiction movie I'm not going to speed it up but I did right. find that I was trying to crank through I have limited time right because I have, I have 
wife and really? kids. And I found that I was trying to get through the Marvel stuff, like the you yeah. know Punisher, Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and yeah. they're like 10 episodes per season, and I really wanted to catch the plot points, but I didn't really care about all the like intricacies of the character and stuff. So yeah, I was like one uh, and a half Xing a lot of those. Yeah. And, and, I, and I got the gist, and I was doing something else while I was watching it too, and it felt like it was... It's it was pretty damn nerdy, uh, and I would never do that if my wife was in the room because she wouldn't like it. <laughs> nice, you know. I uh, are you uh, with a background as a developer? Are you one of the, Are you one of the people? Are you in the camp of uh, either listening to music or watching something in the background while you're working? Or mm-hmm. no, I need total silence, completely distraction free, or somehow having the distraction helps you like where do you land yeah i i do music probably i'd say half the time that i'm working so you certainly if i'm reading something or trying to write a blog post um I, well then that's not true because i've written some really good blog posts with if i'm gonna if i'm gonna write a blog post i'm gonna <laughs> loop the same song so i'm one of the loopers like i'll okay. i'll pick the same song and listen to it literally just 50 times 100 times in a row and i drink caffeine and i get in this zone where the music like almost goes to the background but there's still this like chaos in my ears and in a good way yeah and and it's like pumping me up to just you know basically be hyper productive but then what i found is i i will completely burn a song out where i then can't listen to it ever again you know it's like it just it just goes over i can't watch things i don't like having videos um going because that's distracting for me yeah but uh i definitely if if you know and it does depend on the task right when i used to um I felt like coding there was there was the architectural design deep thought piece and I would tend to do that in silence and then when it's like all right I'm going to hammer out this class bunch of methods uh stuff you don't do have to the, really figure out check. or think yep. about yeah you're writing your tests and you're checking code in and you're just boom 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 that stuff I love just having a really nice playlist behind so why loop though what's what's the what's the thought behind looping one song the looping it it allows it to blend into the background in a way that it becomes almost like a white noise. Yeah. But I don't. The, the the difference is that white noise is so it's like flat and it's not stimulating to your brain, which right. is a good, which is a good thing because that's why you sleep with white noise if if you need it. Whereas I will listen to um, literally I'll listen to punk you know like one punk song over and over with a, pre- a pretty fast beat, nice cadence. And yeah. it'll loop into the background, uh, you know, it'll, it'll fade into the background like white noise, but there's still something driving and stimulating some part of my brain. And yeah. I'm not AD, like I'm not ADD or ADHD. It's not that, but there is something that like, I feel like there's this, this energy in me that is, I have to pour out into the keyboard, you know, <laughs> yeah. in a very, in an yeah. odd way. And I, and I stop hearing the lyrics because I can, you know, again, it's punk music most of the time. So it still has lyrics, but I've hammered. <laughs> I mean, I remember which songs I was listening to. Um, when I wrote like some really specific blog posts that I have, you know, that, that turned out to be really good. Like, um, can you give me a couple? Yeah. Well, there's, there's this one manifesto I wrote called uh, why marketing automation is the future of email marketing. And I looped a song that's on the drip blog. I looped yeah. um, this song by slick shoes. It's a song called last L A S T it's off their first album. And just over and over. And I, it probably took me six hours to write that. So last is a four minute song. So you can kind of do math on that. You know, I think that's yeah. 90, 90 listens to the same song, give or take. Um, do you think it, it affects, I found like when I listen to music, when I'm writing, it can affect like the tone of what I'm writing. Like if I'm yep. listening to something that is super nostalgic, like some sort of nineties, 
you know, like uh, Counting Crows, Matchbox 20, something that takes me back to being a teenager, um, then like what I'm writing kind of has a little bit of this nostalgic feel to it. And I, I don't know, I find that it, it can affect what I'm doing. Is that true for you? I could, I could totally see that. Yeah. Listening to Elliot Smith, right? Really forlorn, sad, yeah. sad blog post. <laughs> Listen yeah. to Metallica, really aggressive. Yeah. yeah. No, I could, I could see that. It's, it's weird. And maybe it's just me because I'm reading it and I'm remembering writing it, but it, te- it yeah. seems like there's a, a tone, you know, yeah. to it that was affected by, you know, the, yeah. the music. So yeah. I, I tend to, I used to be, and for people listening who are not developers and have no idea, like there, there are whole arguments on the internet about, you know, coding with or without anything in the background. But yep. um, I was always firmly in the, I can't concentrate if there's anything. Like, it's got to be silence. Um, and then I don't know what happened. Uh, uh, a year ago or so, it just flipped for me. And I like having something in the background. But it's got to be very specific. And my current favorite thing is to have um, the show, uh, The Voice. You know the show, mm-hmm. um, yep. the singing contest uh-huh. show? Um I don't know why I like, the, I, I hate those kind of shows typically, but for some reason I like The Voice because I feel like it's more about um, actual talent than just, uh, it's not a circus like American Idol was. And um, mm-hmm. and so, but f- with that kind of show, you don't have to watch it. And it's like, they're, they're so long. Each episode is like two hours long. And there's, and so a season is just dozens of hours and you can just, I have it on uh, on a separate monitor, just kind of playing in the background every now and then I'll look up and see, oh, who's that singing or whatever. And uh, I don't know, that's worked really well for me lately. But that's I, I can't- That's fascinating. Yeah, it's I, fascinating you made that switch from silence to that. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Like, I, I, I still don't think I could do it with music. Music tends mm-hmm. to distract me because I, I get, like I said, I get caught up in, uh, I'd have to listen to soundtracks or classical or something that goes more the- direction of white noise then if there's lyrics like i really can't seem to focus but it's weird that i can do it with the voice i, I don't know it, it's um maybe it's also just the kind of work you know i mean obviously in our careers the kind of thing we do from day to day tends to shift and so the kind of stuff i'm doing now might not be you know might be different enough from before that um you know it's just different i don't know yeah but uh, yeah i could see that it's a big leap from white noise because i would expect to me, one notch up from white noise is, in terms of adding a little more nuance or a little more stimulation, is uh, either the deep focus playlist on Spotify. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you've ever tried that, but it's there's no lyrics in almost any of the songs. And it's just these kind of plodding beats with synths behind it, you know, and you may yeah. want to give it a try sometime. The yeah. other site that I've used before is called Coffitivity, C-O-F-F-I-tivity. It's, and if you... You can put a coffee shop um, noise, and it kind of sounds like people's chattering in the background, yeah, like you're in a coffee shop. Uh-huh. Then you can put music on, and you turn the music just above the level of that, so it feels like there's people around you, yeah. you know. And and that's kind of the next level up. And then I think uh, watching a TV show like you're doing would be like the <laughs> extreme. That's the ele- turn it up to eleven, in, in my opinion. Well, the thing is, like I'm not, like I said, I'm not actually watch. And, and actually, you know, if I tested this kind of stuff, I might find that my productivity is a little lower. Like maybe I'm um, a little slower when I've got something like the voice going. And by the way, I couldn't do it with anything else. I couldn't do it with anything like I wanted to see or actually watch or catch the nuance of. Yeah. Related to that though, I'm curious, do you, uh, how much of your time do you still spend at this point coding and programming? It, I, 
I code a little bit and it is purely hobby. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I haven't written production code since 20, sometime in 2012. And it was like maintaining Hittail, which was this classic ASP app that was yeah. ancient that I had acquired. So um, when we, you know, when we decided to build Drip, uh, my co-founder Derek said, hey, you know, I said, what language do you want to use? He said, let's do Ruby on Rails. I don't know Ruby and yeah. I intended to learn it, but I, I only <laughs> wanted to learn it enough that I could look at the code and read it. I'd never wanted to write code on it because I knew that um, it just wouldn't be helpful at that point, you know? So I still, I mean, in the past, let's see, I've been, I, I left Drip and Lead Pages about six weeks ago and I've probably written um, just a couple, a handful of PHP scripts to do just stupid. I'm just tooling around, right? I mean, literally scraping yeah. some websites to, to see if I can put the data, you know, into this format. And then I actually started a Python script just because I'm fascinated with the, uh, the semantic analysis um, and sentiment analysis and libraries that they have where you can try mm. to figure out, hey, here's a tweet. Is this a positive or a negative sentiment in here? You know, because it's sarcasm. I mean, there's all these yeah. layers. So I'm, and I'm by no means am I a machine learning, uh, e- even a, a noob. You know, that's about, yeah. I would say I'm a noob machine learner, but I am just constantly interested in this stuff. I, and I don't know Python. So I'm literally like going to GitHub and I'm going to Stack Overflow and it's fun to learn again. I mean, the last lang- new language I learned was probably. 2006 man you know c sharp was yeah. like the jump from vb.net and um i'd already known java and, and had done some c plus plus but I, I really haven't learned a new you know programming language in a while and i'm not going to become proficient at any of these to write production code probably yeah. I, I think i'm probably done with that but i love building little being able to just hack together proofs of concept and being able to think yeah. through problems and, and try to automate them yeah well that's uh, so what, what was your what was your main like, was it PHP? Like, what was your main language that you... Yeah, it it changed over time. So I started coding professionally in, like, 99. Um, that's so... I'm showing my age there. But yeah. <laughs> and then it was, like, a um, little bit of classic ASP, PHP, and Perl. And I was a consultant. Oh, I, you know, I worked full-time for a shop that was basically building websites and web apps for dot coms and so it was okay. whatever they asked for you learned yeah and if they didn't ask for anything we would pick something and typically it was it was php over over my my sql but then pretty quickly uh i got into I, I realized that the enterprise stuff was um better paying and more consistent it wasn't building a little website here or shopping cart there if you learned java or dot net as you know came out in if i recall was it 2002 2003 um you could get these six month long contracts or year long contracts that paid yeah. you 100, 100 bucks, 125 an hour. So I moved into Java 18 months, hated it, moved into then VB.net and then C Sharp. And I actually liked that a lot more because of the dev environment. So I would say that was where I made the bulk of my money as a, as a, you know, a, a salaried or contract uh, developer was really through, through the .NET stack from, you know, 2002 to about 2008. And in, in 08, I, that's when I made the transition to full-time product income. Well, that's what, when you just said you you realized that uh, things were better with enterprise. Did that what does that mean? You shifted to being was that when you shifted to being self-employed or freelance or whatever, or were you still employed but you just uh, changed what you did? I I I became uh, uh, self-employed. 
Yeah, so okay. I was working for for third parties. Now during that time, I took a job. I kept I would I would contract for eighteen months, two years, and then I would either I'd get burned out on it. So then yeah. I'd be like, you know what? It's so much greener on the other side. You could just get your W two check and you just show up. And so I'd get a job, and then I get yeah. bored bored with that or angry with it because I didn't like having a boss. Yeah, I'm I'm not super employable, <laughs> so I'd stay for a year and then yeah. I forget it. I'm going back to contract. So I literally did that. Like, well, I guess only twice, but. Um, I, I did. I know. I know what you mean, those. though. It's it's a constant. Um, it's a constant back and forth. You know, it, it's like, yeah, you know, the grass is always. I, I think that's been my one of my pursuits my whole life is is to figure out um, a middle path where <laughs> it combines the uh, the greener grass of both sides and you know something that fits me. You know, and yeah. uh, that's that's hard to do, um, especially if you're trying to do that while you know, you have a family and, and, and you, you don't have, um, you know, a bunch of savings or whatever it, it, it can be difficult, but, uh, do you feel like you found that for you or like, at what point did you, you know, if you went back and forth a little bit, at what point did you find like kind of your lane as it were? Yeah, I found my lane a couple different times. So I was truly salaried from late 99, early 2000 into, 2001-ish. And that was, I had a great time learning all the languages they were throwing at us. And then that company, the consulting company, basically went out of business when mm. it folded, when the dot-com crash happened. We were in Sacramento and we were um, yeah. consulting with a bunch of, you know, Bay Area dot-coms. And so my wife and I bought a house and like 90 days later, company goes out of business. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is great. So we have this house payment now. And yeah. at that point... Um, in, in Northern California, no less. Yep, yep, exactly, in Sacramento. And the the guy who owned the consulting firm, which was like a little, it was like about an 18-person firm, uh, so it was a nice boutique firm, he approached three of us, three of the developers, and he said, look, I have enough work to keep three of you guys busy. Um, we'll, I'll just, we'll take in the money, you'll be contractors, and we'll split it, you know, split the the revenue essence. I'll sell the deals and manage them, and, and you guys code them. And I said, no. I said, that's, I, I can't stand to not have a full-time job. Like I need the safety and the security and all this stuff. So I tried huh. to look for a job for like six or eight weeks and there was just nothing for a programmer, right? Cause it yeah. was, again, it was the dot-com bust. And so he, eventually I was just like, well, fine, I'll just take this while I'm looking, you know? Yeah. Well, then I was working from home. I was working on my own schedule. It truly was deliverable based. And so I had two weeks to do X, Y, Z and I was working at night and I, which I love, like I, 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 you know, if I had my choice, I'd be kind of a vampire. So I was working until two in the morning and then I'd sleep late. We didn't have kids. Yeah. And then I, I was like, this is amazing. I want to be a contractor for the rest of my life. So I, so I hit my stride <laughs> there. And then of course, you know, a couple years later, I'm burned out on it. I'm working on projects I don't love. Um, so I went back to salaried and then eventually I realized that contracting really was better for me long-term because I could just, we started moving, right? My wife got yeah. a PhD and so we moved to LA and we moved to Boston and New Haven, Connecticut. And during that time, I never had to switch jobs. So I was like, this is, yeah. this is a great thing. But I started getting a little burned out on it and bored and didn't like the lack of control. So that's when I was like, look, what about products? You know, like whether the yeah. product is a book or, or, you know, some type of training course or frankly software products is what i wanted to do it was 2005 and that's when i really got into that and then i realized this is what i want to do and it took me about three years from 2005 to 2008 to replace you know enough of the income to do it so again i hit my the point of that is i hit my stride multiple different times really yeah you know um 
but the kind of final stride I think was was definitely getting the products and really being truly my own boss because contracting I you know consulting I thought I would be it's my own not boss really but yeah it's not yeah it's, it's a, a bummer it's, it's it's freedom in a way but it's in in some ways it's just as uh you know and and most people figure this out after four or five years but yeah I mean you still have clients you're still you're still beholden to you know all of that and you're still and, and the biggest thing is you're still just trading your time for money which is i think yep. is, is is the big underlying thing that we're trying to get out of when we quit jobs even if it does have something to do with not wanting a boss not being wanted not wanting to be told what to do there's still this underlying thing of just trading time for hours and wanting it to be more efficient or more um you know, because you think, you know, what, you know, well, what's going to happen one day when I stop doing this? You know, what, what then? You know, I just stop having money. So it's yep. like, no, th- yeah, I, I agree. That's a good point. And I kept asking myself, um, I'm trying to think that, you know, I was in my 30s, early 30s, and I started thinking, am I going to be doing this when I'm 45 or 50? Yeah. Like, is this what I want to be doing? You know, yeah. and, and and my income had topped out. I mean, I, you can only charge so much. Yeah. If you're going to do 30, 40 hour a week contracts, you can only get your rate so high. Yeah. And I felt like this is it. I, how am I going to ever make more money? You know, and, yeah. and it was this this question. Um, yeah. So I think I think that's a kind of a good point to bring up. Well, what, what, how, well, where did you, where, where did that take you? I mean, for me, it's, um, people are always like, you know, I, I've had this discussion with my mom a hundred times, you know, whenever things are tight, she's always like, you just, you just need to get a job. You know, your dad didn't love his job and, you know, and, and I'm like, yeah, but things are different now, mom. I mean, you don't yeah. have to just go to a job you hate for 40 years and, you know, it's, it's, it's a different world. And people look at that as some sort of security, which, first of all, it's not. You can get fired or laid off at any point. And a lot of people are like, but the steady paycheck. But for me, that steady, steady paycheck was always like a, it was like a prison in a way. Like the, the, way yeah. I, the way I looked at it was no matter how hard I work, no matter what I do, that number's never changing. It might, it might go up 1%, 2% a year, but that's how much money I'm going to be making. Whereas when I'm self-employed, I mean, that number could double this month if I if I figured out something, you know. Yep. And so to me, it's just I mean, I feel all the safety and all the things people typically associate with a steady quote, steady paycheck with being uh, self-employed. But yep. when you were thinking about that, what is that what part of what led you to products? Or Yeah, I think the my thought about products was there's there's really these three axes of freedom right there's time freedom there's income and there is mobility yeah so your time is like can i work from midnight to six in the morning if i want can i take four days off and then just binge four days you know of of this crazy 12 14 hour days because again i don't do it when now but when i was in my early 30s i was like a real momentum so I would work yeah. these 12, 14 hour days because I was in, you got all the code in your head now, right? Yep. And you have the whole 3D model and it's like, no, I'm just going to keep going, keep going. Um, so that's time. And then income, of course, is can you, like you said, can you double your income this month because you either work more hours or because you figure something out? And then mobility, of course, is being able to live, you know, can I move to the East Coast for six months and, no, and nobody notices? And with consulting, I had mobility for sure. Nobody cared where I was. I had 
a, a modicum of time flexibility. When I was doing the project-based work, I could yeah. work whenever. But I found that the most lucrative and the longest terms really kind of wanted to have a daily stand-up and, you know, and, yep. and really have, what did you do that yesterday? So that meant I really did have to work every day. Did you resist I wasn't, that? Like, did, did that bother you, you know, somewhere it, deep inside or not? Over, to, over time, it did. Yeah. Okay. And when, when they talked about it and they're like, you know, I, I'm like, all right, I'm 125 bucks an hour and you're going to pay me 40 hours a week. So I don't have a lot to complain about. I mean, this is 10 years ago, even that's yeah. a lot of money, right? Um, I mean, I, I grew up, my first job, I made seven bucks an hour. My first job out of college with an electrical engineering degree, I make 17 bucks an hour. Like yeah. I was not, I was solidly working class growing up. So to be talking about those amounts of money was shocking, you know, to yeah. me. And it's like, really, you're going to pay me for this? But that, that, so I totally went with it and, and did it um, because it was the next step, you know, the next logical step. But to your point, it wore on me over the course of, of the years. And that's where I was like, well, what, what's next? How do I get around this? How do I truly own my time? How do I truly allow myself some income flexibility? And since I was young, I always wanted to be able to do something once and sell it many times. And when I was young, it was writing. So I used to write like fiction and stuff. And I thought that I could potentially be an author, right? Yeah. And obviously, that's a really hard road to go. And I never pursued it, yeah. um, you know, with much vigor. But it, as as the 2000s kind of came upon us, I was like, man, this is the this is the dot-com boom. And this is, the, this is my time. And I'm in software, you know? And so I had launched some really lame ideas in the early 2000s <laughs> trying to, I tried to launch ideas that needed funding but i didn't want to raise funding so i would just build them myself and launch them and then they would flame out because i just you know try to build two-sided marketplace or try to build an ad-based revenue model like dumb things that i learned and was like this is this is stupid so then really around the 2005 time frame was when i actually was like wait i can just own a small software product that fit you know serves a tiny niche and it can just sell a few thousand dollars a month and almost all that's profit Huh, how many of those do I need? You know, that <laughs> right. that became the thing of like I don't need the million dollar hit to um to kind of retire. I just need some streams of income that can cobble together, you know, Even though to, that's to make kind of where you ended up. Yeah, that's right. But with, I didn't know nobody yeah. nobody was talking Yeah, that's right. I did. Eventually I got to the hit, but that wasn't <laughs> necessarily, you know, what I was striving for the whole yeah. time. Um, yeah. And so, so that was where, so 2005, maybe made 25 grand that year from a product. And at the time I was making 150, 200 grand from consulting. So this was nothing, right? Yeah. 25 grand. It's like a rounding error. And, but then I, I acquired another one and then I read the four hour work week in 2007 and I was like, <laughs> dude, I'm already doing like, this is what I was already yeah. trying to do. But he put, and I know there's, you know, it's controversial. The parts of that books are completely lame and I don't like them in part of it's oversimplified, but some of the stuff he talked about specifically the outsourcing like shook yeah. my world dude because i was not thinking about hire i was doing all my own email support at the time yeah. i was hiring developers for 70 you know 50 to 75 bucks an hour in la because mm-hmm. it's who i knew and suddenly it was like wait i can get a really solid developer at the time for like 10 15 bucks an hour which yeah. for me as a startup was game changing and i hired a, a really good va for like eight bucks an hour so suddenly all that was off my plate you know to do support so that was that was kind of the path i think you were you know you were alluding to where um, that was then my escape hatch. Once I realized I didn't, and the other thing is I didn't need to make that 150 or 200 from consulting because we weren't spending all of that. I, yeah. and I looked at it hard and I needed to make about a hundred K. Um, cause my wife was getting a stipend at the time, pretty small, but she was in a, a postdoc, uh, for psychology and we lived relatively frugally and stuff. So I said, boy, if I can cobble together about eight grand a month, um, in product revenue, like I'm done with this. And that's eventually yeah. what I did by 2008. 
Well, so I'm, I'm curious how your goals may not be the right word. Um, the what I'm looking, well, the word I'm looking for is more like what is the point of it all for you? But the specific question is what what, what was the thing you were after? Which and you kind of just answered it, I guess. But then 2008, you know, 10 years ago. And I'm sure that that has changed by now. So at that point, what you what you felt like was if you achieved this, then that answers the question of what what the hell am I going to be doing when I'm 50? And maybe it was just, you know, getting a software product to where you were bringing in, you know, eight, 10 grand a month and, and you're, you know, and, and you're done. Um but if not, I'm curious what it was then, and, and and how has it changed to now having built a huge thing, also having sold it, and having removed yourself from it at this point? Yeah, that's. A, I like the way you asked that question. It's almost like we had chatted about that in advance, even though we hadn't, because it's <laughs> it's a really it's it's a good insight that what I wanted in 2008 or from 2005 to 2008 was one thing, and what I realized is once I achieved that. I then wanted, I needed more things because yeah. it wasn't enough. So the one thing I wanted between 2005 and eight was freedom. And it's that time, income, and mobility. And I thought, boy, once I have that, I'm going to be happy. And I can work on whatever I want. And that'll be that'll be the end all be all for me. Yeah. What I realized is once I achieved freedom in, in quotes, I mean, I had the time and the income and the mobility because I had these products, um, was that I lacked, I was missing out on purpose. Yeah. And and really relationships at the time, because I was working all day. I was working days as a contractor. I was working nights on these products. And so I really was not fostering t- a ton of relationships. Um, I had yeah. by that time my wife and son, but I wasn't building a lot of friendships. And I've never been one to have a lot of, of friends. I always tend to have a few close relationships. But I realized how important those were to me. So it's these three things, freedom, purpose, and relationships is today kind of the the framework that I live by. And so yeah. obviously the, the freedom check box has been checked at this point. Right. But is that, I've, is it true? Is it checked to the point where you're, you know, you're done like you, you yep. you're okay until you die or yep. like, okay. So like yep. it's that financially, you don't have to worry about income ever again. Yep. So, so Correct. now it's the uh, uh, relationships and um, what was the third purpose. one? Purpose. Purpose. Yeah, purpose. Yep. Yep. And that, is you know purpose for me well can come in a, to each person it's it's their own thing right but for me i need to be to feel purposeful or like i'm doing something i need to be learning and i also need to be um like creating yeah. stuff you know whether it's writing um whether it's doing conference talks whether that means creating a, a new product or um you know blogging podcasting i mean all this stuff you know you know how that feels your maker yeah um and there's some some element of teaching that when I don't do it for an extended period of time, I feel like I'm not uh, putting stuff into the world. And so the, the yeah. making and the teaching, I think, go hand in hand. But I mean, even teaching to the point of, you know, starting microconf is a is a part of that. And my blog, um, which you, it used to be at softwarebyrob.com, but I just redirect everything, so it's just my name now. It's robwalling.com. Yeah, I was um, gonna. Uh, I, I want to. I want you to finish that thought because yep. I want to know. But I, I I looked up, you know, as I'm opening some tabs in preparation for Chrome tabs in preparation for this. Um, I came I came across robwalling.com, and I was like. Uh, I'm pretty sure this wasn't here a month ago. Yeah. So yeah. it this- just went live last week. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, first of all, I got to say, uh, killer 
design, dude. I mean, Thank this you. is probably one of the best like personal brand landing page home websites I've ever seen. I mean, oh, thanks, man. I, 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 pay, I, I paid for it myself. I appreciate that. <laughs> you paid for it yourself. There you go. Yeah. That's a that's almost a, that's a perfect comeback to when someone's like, you know, um, I made it myself, <laughs> and you're totally. like, well, I paid for mine myself. Yeah. So. <laughs> That is yeah. awesome. I love that. Uh, anyway, but so uh, was is it completely custom? Like you just hired a designer to do it, or I mean, yep. I'm curious just personally because it's really, really well done. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Um, and yeah, I hired a designer. Uh, his name is Rafal Tomal. Oh yeah, R- I know Rafal. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of guys know. Yeah. So, um, and he just built it custom on the Genesis framework. So it is it is yeah, WordPress, okay. and you know it hosts my blog. You can see the essays tab. I re- rebranded my blog to essays because doesn't blog? Do you agree that blog feels like something from ten years ago? A blog makes it feel. And see, I come from uh, right out of school. I I, w- I was in journalism, and I was in journalism for like five years before before transitioning into web design and like the tech world. And so I'm afraid that like my opinions about it definitely are are colored by that. But blog has always felt to me like um, uh, it implies a lower quality or or a a less seriousness um, than, but but then if you're that person who puts like, I don't know, journal or something, and, and sometimes even essays, you know, it can sound... I don't think yours comes across as pretentious, but I think it can. And so mm-hmm. it's uh, it's always a, yeah, I agree with you. It's difficult. And even for a company website, um, it feels weird just to throw blog in the navigation. Yeah. It feels like it should be something more, something, I don't know, but I don't have a, I don't know what the answer yeah. is. So. Yeah. For a company, you can't put essays because it'll be like, why does this company have essays? You know, maybe you could do articles or that's, something, but then, yeah. you know, that's the balance. So that's sometimes what, I, anyway, go ahead. What were you saying about the, you, you hired or fall, just, you wanted this yep. to, um, uh, I just want it to be really good. I mean, it was, you know, I've had the same theme since 2007. It was the old yeah. copy blogger theme. Like it was so dated. I mean, it was honestly, I was embarrassed by it. I, <laughs> I d- people at the end of podcasts would say, how can people keep up with you? And I would never say softwareirob.com because right. I was like, this is, I can't send people there. Like what, you know, yeah. what kind of a developer tech guy has that? So <laughs> I really wanted to go all out. It had been on my list since you know, probably 2010 to have the thing redone. And of course you just get busy with your own projects. Right. Yeah. So, well, was there a, a, a behind the redesign? Is there some sort of um, like a strategic reason that you did this or you just wanted it to look nicer at this point? I, I mean, it was more about wanting it to look nicer. I also started having the time to do it as I transitioned, you mm. know, uh, out from drip. That was always a thing. It was a time thing of like, well, am I going to be able to review designs and pick the logo and pick the this and the that and write the copy? And um, so it was kind of like, all right, it's finally time to do this. I also, you know, Sherry, my wife and I um, just released a book called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together. I kind of wanted to yeah. showcase that. I wasn't showcasing. I had no, almost no mention of my books on there. Um, I had no mention of microconf. I had no talk videos. It was just all this stuff that was really nagging me for years. Sure. And I wanted to do it. I don't. I don't think I'm going to make be making a big personal brand push. Although maybe maybe that's my next act. You know, I haven't decided yeah. on that yet. But <laughs> yeah. but if it is, at least I'm set up to do it now. And if I'm not, sure. at least I feel good about the website for the next three four years until yeah. it starts looking dated. You know, definitely. So yeah, the freedom was a time, income, and mobility. Uh, the purpose for me was learning and teaching. And I was talking about how at times, like even the so five and a half years uh, that we worked on Drip. I started struggling a couple years into that, that I wasn't teach. I didn't have time to teach anymore. I wasn't blogging. Uh, I was still podcasting, but I couldn't necessarily talk about everything we were doing because the stakes got really high. Um, I, I don't know. I felt like I wasn't, I hadn't written a book since 20, 
2011, I believe, is when Start Small, Stay Small came out. You know, it was just yeah. this nagging. I could feel it. It's an existential angst. And it's like, why is that bothering me? Oh, yeah, I'm not teaching enough, you know? So having that realization yeah. was good. And that is something that, that I'm coming back to now that I have more time. And then relationships. Yeah, I definitely um, realized how important, I think for all of us, man, I'm, I'm pretty dang introverted as I think yeah, a lot of us are, too. right, as developers. And yet... I still need that connection with people. And it's yeah. for me, it's my kids and my wife. And then it's also having friends that I can go and have a beer with, you know, having Derek, who's my Drip co-founder being in town, some folks I worked with at Drip, just being able once a week to go out is something I always, I, I used to never find time for. And I've realized that without that, I solely feel like I'm just kind of in this home office all the time, you know, and not getting external inputs. Are you still in Minneapolis, by the way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I, I think we're gonna stay for the, Long future, or? yeah. I mean, we don't we don't have plans to leave. It's a really nice, really nice place to live. Yeah, good, you know, kind of high quality of life and stuff. So, yeah. assuming the winters, we've done two winters, um, and one <laughs> was easy and one was really hard. And so we're our kids are. We have three kids in school, man. It's you know, it, it's tough to move, and and yeah. we can't honestly can't think of a better place. Like given traffic and taxes you know if you factor everything in when yeah. i actually look at it on yeah. paper it's like it's a pretty nice place to live you is know? does where you live okay so i have a couple things i wanted to when you mentioned about relationships but you you mentioned earlier that you you moved around a number of times and um that's totally my story too um i always I, it's moving but it's also um the restarting there's something about starting fresh uh that is so appealing to me and that has to do with where I live, uh, my, you know, circle of, of acquaintances, the work I'm doing for so much, for so, for so long, every about two to three years, I would just completely start over, you know, which is terrible if you're trying to, you know, you're always, you, you always feel broke. You're always, you know, cause you're always starting. And, uh, but, um, what, you know, does, does where you live have a big impact on like how you feel? Does that question make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it always has for me. And that's why I feel like I've always, like, I, I'm still looking, you know, I still haven't found the place. Well, I have found the place, but it's just too expensive. (laughs) Central coast California is like what I love the most, but it's just, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not achievable financially at the moment, but, um, That makes sense. Oh, I want to I want to ping on that because you know we lived in Fresno for six seven years and we had an apartment in the central coast of California. Okay, yeah. And we, so Pismo, like Shell Beach, is where it was. Yeah, um, Slow is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. So and we talked about moving to Slow, uh, San Luis Obispo for those uh, you know not into our hip hipster right. acronyms here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we 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 went there two weekends a month and a lot during the summer and so that that also is our I would say it's our soulmate place as well and we've struggled yeah. with the isolation of it because there's no airports there oh, that's our that's yeah. been our big thing yeah. um, the cost the cost is something but we could we could swing it at this point but it's like oh how do we how do we go back there so yeah. um where where do you live now I'm in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. So oh, okay. it's a cool town, but very similar yeah. to Slow in in that it's it's a cool small town. Weather not nearly as good, but also the exact same problem. Traveling is difficult because yeah. you've either got to go to Nashville or Atlanta, and thankfully they're both only about an hour and a half, uh, you know, maybe two hours max away. So Chattanooga is right in the middle, but it's uh it still makes traveling a pain. We have an airport. You can get most places from the airport, but it's always a multi-stop flight and it's twice as much money and it's just, yeah. it's just a pain in the ass. So it's, it makes uh, it hard. But for me, like where I live, the weather, all those things, 
it has such an impact on my mood and I don't know why. I wish I wasn't that way. But um, like when we lived in slow, I could be having the worst day. I could be having the worst month. And, you know, you step outside and you're on the beach and it's just the most perfect weather in the world. And I would just instantly feel better, you know. Yeah. Um, yep. And so that's what I meant by for me, where I live has a dramatic impact on like my mood and how I feel about my life in general. Oh yeah. I, I think that's very common. I know that's extremely important to my wife that just the vision being around visual beauty. Yeah. Um, it is, I will say it's slightly less important to me, but it is still a critical piece of, of, yeah. you know, I've noticed during like today it's, it's sunny and going to be 80 degrees and we live one block from a lake here in Minneapolis. Yeah. And the fact that I can walk out right after this interview and, just take even a 10 or 20 minute walk in the sun with a bunch of other people hanging around, people paddleboarding yeah. or even jump, jump on our paddleboard that could, can completely reshape my day. Just like you're saying, whereas in the winter, you know, when it's five below, um, I can't do that. And you know, yeah. and then I have to find other outlets. One thing that we've, um, or, or that I have really referred back to many times is this essay by Paul Graham of Y Combinator fame. Mm-hmm. He wrote this essay called Cities and Ambition. And I recommend you, you know, read it and perhaps link it up in the show notes. Yeah. It it isn't so much about weather like we're talking, but he talks about when you're young, you you should live in a bunch of cities and you should figure out which ambition for the city links up with who you want to be. And so he starts yeah, giving examples yeah. of places he's lived and he said, "Look, in Boston, the ambition when you're there is it makes you want to be uh I think it's, I forget if he says smarter or well-educated because they're, I think it's better educated because he said everybody there, when you're in a coffee shop, you're listening to people talk like master's level philosophy. And, and so he said, if you're in Boston, like it makes you want to be smarter. If you're in Paris, which Paul Graham also lived in, he said, it makes you, I think it's like want to be more artistic or want to appreciate art more. And then, you know, he talks about how New York is about power and the Silicon Valley is about, no, 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 I'm sorry, the other way around. New York is about money, like the ambition there is having more money and Silicon Valley is about power because he said, Mm. you can, you can have 50 million bucks in Silicon Valley. No one gives a shit about you. But if you're, you know, but if you're a startup founder who probably has 20 grand in the bank, but you're running, you know, whatever it is, Instagram or, you know, where you're running one of these things that, that is, is growing quickly, even though your net, you know, net worth isn't that much. I know it is on paper, but you don't have that much Right, in the right, bank, right. you're super popular. Whereas yeah. if, if you're in New York, like just having like 20 million bucks or 50 or whatever it is, people will like fall all over you. So he goes through a few cities and my wife and I've gone through the experiment of naming all these cities that we visit and that we've lived in and said like, what's the ambition of that, right? So Seattle is like about being outdoors and yeah. LA is about looking good. We lived in LA for five years and <laughs> yeah. you know, da, 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 da. so too. it's, it's, yeah. it's a fascinating thought experiment to like look at the city you live in or cities that you visit and try to figure out, you know, in a positive way, because most most ambitions are positive. I mean, you could say looking better or money. Maybe they're those are negative aspirations because they're going to force you into a uh, whatever into a you know doing things that you may not want to do. But you yeah. know, for people who do want to look good, like being in LA is there. That's their city. It's yeah. their soulmate city, right? Yeah. So how, how do you find? And there's probably not only one, but how do you find a city whose ambition matches yours? Well, so how does Minneapolis work into that for you? If especially if you're thinking this is going to be this is where this is where the Walling children are going to grow up and mm-hmm. what they're going to consider home and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think you know the there's a couple ambitions of Minneapolis. One is um, you know there's it's definitely natural beauty is a thing, and that's really yeah. important to to my wife in particular. But I think our whole family. It's like there's all these lakes. I mean, yeah. it really are. There's like eleven thousand lakes in Minnesota, and yeah. 
um, they're just trees everywhere, and there's they take really good care of the land in the city. Like again, I said we live one block from a lake, but I can ride my bike to downtown Minneapolis in about 22 minutes all greenway. Like they have these amazing bike trails that right there, just that whole, those three sentences should tell you a bit about its ambition. They want you to be outdoors and they want you to appreciate the world around you and to, and to care about this city, you know, Um, in a way that like there's, there's a pride for the city because you know, it's hard to live here in the winter. Like you have to, you really got to buckle down and there's a certain pride of like, we live here and it's tough. And there, there are a bunch of people who ride their bikes all winter, even when it's 10 below and they have these big fat bike, fat tire bikes and they cover their hands and they wear the mask. And it's purely a fuck you winter. I'm better than you. Like, that's what the thing is. You know, it's like, (laughs) I am willing to overcome the cold. And so I think there's an ambition of kind of pride of this place, you know, of really like, hey, this this is who we are. Um, All that to say, I think the reason it matches up with us is because we do like the natural beauty. And it's also like a, it's a good place to raise a family, but it's not so suburban it's a good place to raise a family that also has culture yeah right there mm-hmm. are there are these museums so there's an aspiration of of culture and about thinking outside of this city we've lived in some cities where it was easy to raise kids yeah but everyone in the city no one thought outside of that city no one thought yeah. hey we should move away we should impact the world we should have a blog or a podcast <laughs> that people outside the city listen to you know that yeah. that happens here maybe not to the extent of chicago or new york or la or whatever but it but it does happen and Whereas you can live in a suburban town in the middle of whatever state, and it's really just a small town feel, and, and that's yeah. not how this feels. So that was a long, that was a long explanation, but I think those things kind of jive with us pretty well. Yeah, no, and that makes the the thing you were talking about with um, the uh, the article by Paul Graham. I, I feel like that's really really true, and I didn't even know that that existed. So I, I definitely want to read that. I always felt like I was kind of a, a little bit weird in that way that. Um, you know, the, even my friends in college, they would be, <laughs> I mean, I went to college in LA. We'd get up one day if it was raining, like my roommates would know, okay, Adam's going to be pissy all day today, oh, you wow. know, because, yeah. you know, I just, it affects me. And mm-hmm. so I, I'd love to, it, it, and I always thought that I was kind of, you know, alone in that. I guess everyone feels that they're a bit alone in their issues, but, um, but getting into like the relationship aspect of where you live as well, I'll be completely honest, probably 90% of the reason we're back in Chattanooga and we'll probably stay here is, uh, is family, you know, mm-hmm. um, all of my wife's family is in the Southeast, North Georgia, Tennessee area. And, um, my family is now, this isn't where I grew up, but this is where they are now. And, I've honestly really struggled with that. Like, it's not really where I want to be, but uh, I want my kids to know their grandparents and I want to see them. I want them to be able to see them more than, you know, once a year because it's a 3000 mile flight, you know, or something like that. And so have you have you considered that? Like, is that has that played into, you know, there's a struggle between, okay, yeah, being involved in your, your extended family is important, but at what point is it like you should do what you want to do rather than try to accommodate, you know, like there's just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know where that line is and I've struggled with it, honestly. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, One question for you about that. Do you um, get along with your family? They live in the same town, right? So do you get along with them quite well or do you find that they're stressed? Okay. So that that makes it a lot easier actually. We're very close to our extended family. I mean, I'm okay. I'm a, a self-described mama's boy. I mean, I talk to my mom on the phone pretty much every day, every other day, always have, and 
my wife Jessica is very close to her extended family. Uh, it's yeah, we're we're yeah, we're all good with each other. There's never been there's no that's problems. Cool. Yeah, yeah, and that that's really good. And that I think makes the decision a lot a lot easier. It depends yeah. on your your situation, right? Because some people have really really bad relationships Definitely. with their extended family or, yeah. or their parents, and they shouldn't live there. Sherry and I, you know, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I am I'm I'm I get along with my family, but. I don't feel like I need to be in the same town as them. And I actually yeah. think it would be a little bit of a struggle if we lived like 10 minutes from each other. Yeah. When we were in when we were in Fresno, they were in the Bay Area. It was a three-hour drive. It was actually really nice. Because yeah. then we could see them, say once a quarter, we'd all hang out. And that was the perfect thing. The yeah. fact that we live further away is, is a bit tough now. But it's a nonstop flight. It's a direct flight for us. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we go a few times a year. So I... I don't, you know, there's certainly not a pat answer for everybody, but I know that we've yeah. found that we, um, at a certain point, we, the, the, the stakeholders in our family became my wife, myself, and our kids. Yeah. And when we decide where to live or where to move or, or on big life decisions, we try to look at everybody, not just Sherry and I. You know, not just what's best for us, but to truly say, is this best for the kids and us? Some people look, I think, perhaps too much at their kids. Like, what will make the kids happy? They want to live in suburbia. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I I think I fell into that where it's like at some point, like you start making all your decisions based on your aspirations for your children or what you think will be best. Like I just said, we we're, we're living where we're living because I want my kids to be able to see their grandparents on a regular basis, not because I want to be here. And sure. I'm not actually sure if that's like the, is that a, is that a healthy thing? Is that like, is that an imbalance? You know, I don't know to tell you the truth. Well, it sounds like you may not want to be there and you know, you know, you may don't, maybe don't love the city or, or you feel isolated, but given that you have such a good relationship with your family, that's yeah. actually another tip. You, certainly it's good for your kids. I think it might be good for you too, because yeah. if you get along with it, you know, so maybe that's a, a, another tip there. What I found was I, I text with my brother, um, every day or two. I talk to my dad on the phone every month or two, um, text with my mom quite a bit. That's enough of a connection. Our family has always had these kind of uh, a loose, like a loose connection like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and I guess the, so for me personally, I'm cool with having some distance, but also being able to access them. I think if I lived on the other side of the world, it would be, it would be a lot harder. I think for our kids, it could go either way. You know, like if, if we lived near our, our grandparents, I think they would love it. I don't know that it would be best for the family if Sherry and I were unhappy, but our kids were happy to be near their grandparents. Yeah. So that would, you know, and, and our their grandparents live respectively in, in the Bay Area, which is, I'm not going to live because of, well, I grew up there, but yeah. it's too expensive and the traffic's too bad. Yeah. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to yeah. live in a tiny house and, and drive, you know, two hours to get, get anywhere. And then my wife's parents live up in far Northern California and it's kind of, it's a great place to vacation, but it's kind of the middle of nowhere a little bit, Definitely, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. and and that really wouldn't, wouldn't fit us. So it would be kind of, you'd have unhappy parents, which I think would have unhappy family. <laughs> yeah. And that's where we've tried to land on both. If you're not super unhappy where you are, but it's kind of like, well, I don't love it here, but Hey, it's cool, yeah. you know, and, and blah, blah, blah. I, it doesn't seem compelling enough to leave, but if you find that you're really hating life, then every your whole family is going to hate life, and that's not. Yeah. that's when you got to make well, a change. Well, I, I should opinion. add to that my wife loves it, so it's yeah. not just my children; it's my children there and my wife. Go. And my wife grew up in the southeast, and when we yep. moved to California a few years ago, for me it was moving back to a place that it always felt like home and that I loved. For her, it was a new experience, and she, I think, really liked it. But it was also the first time she'd ever lived. Um, more than an hour away from 
her family. And so I think that was really difficult, especially, I mean, we had a new kid, like um, she was seven and a half months pregnant when we moved. So just all sorts of things played into that. But, um, you know, it's also, did you, have you, did you read that article, um, that Tim Urban, uh, wait, but why article where he was talking about like looking at the rest of your life and he basically put the entire rest of your life on a little chart and you realized how, how, how short it really is. Um, mm, I don't I know. Didn't. Well, anyway, he, and he was talking about that. Well, like if you think about, um, you know, how old your parents are and your family and, and here's basically the rest of your life. And, um, the older you get, the, the fewer and fewer opportunities you're going to have to spend with them. And, and he basically calculated, calculated out that, you know, he's got maybe, you know, 10, 15 more, um, significant times to spend with his uh, family, parents before they pass away, you know, and that really kind of affected me and and got me thinking about, you know, if we live um, on the other side of the country and we get to see them basically once a year um, and they're getting old, you know, I can count then out pretty on a pretty short list how many more times we're really going to see and spend with them. And that was that was also a big part of, you know, um, what what is what's it worth to me to you know love living right on this beach versus you know um how much time i have left to spend with my mom and stuff like that so that's true and there are certain things of those like can you can you think about living on the beach uh you know can you think about visiting the beach once a year can you think about potentially yeah. moving to the beach or getting a, a you know a small apartment there or yeah. something when when your kids move out you know i mean your kid that's the other thing is i get in the totally. in the mindset of hey whatever phase i'm in now boy this is forever and it's know. like no yeah. like we have we have uh, an 11 year old and two 7 year olds 10 years they're gone they're yeah. all gone like mm-hmm. so in within 10 and i'm still going to be pretty young right i'm 43 yeah. so i'm going to be 53 like i still have years to do stuff so maybe that california thing you know waits till then so i i'm not saying we should put off you know defer our our desired lifestyle but it's not like you're slogging away you know at a factory and in in a crappy place like you're making trade-offs and it it sounds like you've thought through you've thought them through reasonably well you know and you know what the pros and cons are um (laughs) i just hate rednecks honestly and (laughs) there's a there's a (laughs) peripheration a proliferation of them here in the south East. So it. uh that's yeah. But uh yeah, you're totally right. It's so easy to to think what I'm doing right now is the way it's always going to be and yeah, I mean if you're relatively healthy by the time the kids are gone, you still got a third maybe of your life left and and yeah. a lot can happen then. So it's uh but it also gets into the relationship thing. I was going to ask you about that. The the world we live in now like I haven't lived close to you know, my, my closest friends are in different cities around the country. You know, after college, we all kind of went different directions. And yep. it's like, I would love to live uh, in the same town as just one of my closest friends. Like, I, I don't have any personal friends where I live. You know, they're all mm-hmm. in other places. And we talk on the phone and, and things like that regular regularly. But it's different than, like, you were talking about, like, hanging out. And, mm-hmm. um, um, but... That's just, I think, it's hard to achieve in 2018 because of the way the world works now with the internet and careers and everyone being so transient. Um, how do you, you were talking about relationships, how important that is to mm-hmm. you, being able to hang out with people, you know, um, how, does, how does that affect, you know, the, the choice of, of where you live and um, or whether or not you stay there, something like that? Yep. Yeah, we were, my wife and I were just talking about this actually, about how, like you, we have 
kind of close slash lifelong friends that are all in different cities. Yeah. You know, there's like five cities we named and it's like none of those are even near each other. So, <laughs> so what do you do with that? So, um, for us, we have, uh, like my wife and our 11 year old went to Nicaragua for one week, uh, just like two weeks ago, they were there and mm-hmm. they were, they were there visiting. Cause it was to get all five of us down would have been a expensive, but b just a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and, she was able to go and hang out with them, you know, for a whole week and hang out with their whole family. And then when she went home to see her dad recently, like she stopped by, you know, a different, so it's a lot of travel, I guess is what I'm saying is it's like, she's, she or I will kind of work that in, um, as we go. I think the other thing that I've tried to be deliberate about and I've been, I've been so, so at it because I'm not necessarily, you know, exceptional at it is is trying to make local friends because there are yeah. like whether it's at meetups or whether it's um uh well i see i had the, i you work from home i assume yes yeah, so well i, I work okay. i work from anywhere <laughs> anywhere i want yeah, <laughs> yeah from anywhere yeah so that's actually a that that makes it harder right because i worked in the office in minneapolis here for, for oh, 18, okay. 18 months and i was pretty deliberate about handpicking people who i was like you know what i think we could hang out outside of work and then yeah. trying to get those relationships going while we were there and now i have at least two people that i could kind of ring up um actually there's three who i could text and be like hey you want to do happy hour tonight and probably could work so it's a balance and i don't know if those three will be lifelong friends but at least it's something you know at least we can have really interesting conversations and see so i've tried to balance it that way i don't think um that unless there were a lot of our friends that moved to the same city i don't think we would base a moving decision on that just because there's already five of us you know with the three kids and us that are (laughs) they really have a lot of a uh, of you know weight on that but it sure would i i totally agree man that that having friends who who are just with you on that journey and really um who you understand deeply and you can just revisit and have that conversation it's it's something that i took for granted in my 20s and then now that I'm early 40s, like we don't really make many friends like that anymore. They're almost all from those years. Yeah. Yeah. I found that it's like, especially once you, once you get married, that's one transition. Then once you have kids, it's another transition. But even without that, the older you get, it's just, I don't know. I find it much harder to make new friends. One, because I have three kids too and no, and there's no time. There's just no time, first of all. Um, But second of all, it's almost like, I don't, I don't really want to make new friends, you know? I mean, I just want to be able to hang out with my actual friends. But for me, relationships are really important too. And people ask me, it's like, well, should I do this? Should I do that? And, you know, I always tell advice that I got years ago was like, right, make a list of like the, the top three things that are the most important things to you in your life. And then every decision is filtered through that. And that tends to remove a lot of the emotion from decisions and you can make them a lot easier. So, you know, it sounds like you've done that. And if relationships is one of those, but it doesn't sound like in Minneapolis, you are necessarily, uh, you know, super connected to the the strongest relationships in your life outside of your family. Actually, well, I, well, I had the luxury of like my co-founder, Derek, moved here when we oh, relocated okay. the company, right? So we were all given the choice to move in about half the company, which was five, four or five people, um, decided to move to Minneapolis. So he moved here and I mean, he has essentially been my closest friend for, you know, five, six, seven years. So oh, well, that, and he's, yeah. he's still here. So that was cool. And he, he's now working on his next project and we get to hang out and, and BS about that. And then it was, it was fortuitous and this didn't impact our decision to move here, but, um, someone who my wife went to grad school with in LA 
lives in Minneapolis, her and her husband, and we had known them since essentially 2002, right? So like 16 years. And we were really good friends with them down in LA and then we all lost touch. And when we came back, uh, when we were going to move, we Skyped them and said, Hey, what's it like living there? And they're like, Oh, you should come, you know, it'd be great. Yeah. And we got here and we, we see them all the time and they are super cool. So they're, so we do have deep relationships as well, but I was, I was kind of um, not mentioning those because we kind of lucked into both those, you yeah. know. And you you couldn't in in Chattanooga, right? You don't have ex grad yeah. school friends, and you, and you didn't bring a co founder <laughs> with you. So I was trying yeah. to think of how I did it in a way that was perhaps more reproducible for other people. Well, I guess I just meant like if relationships is one of your core sort of personal values. Um, in what way is it like, how does it practically affect your decision making? And, and maybe it's just what you just said. There's more to it than that, of course, because I'm a nerd and I'm a programmer. I have literally have a uh, a simple note. You know what simple note is? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, yeah. So I have a simple note that the title is people. And I have this list <laughs> of about 12 people who live here in town who almost every one of them I could text right now. And if they were available, we'd be doing happy hour in five hours. Yeah. And, you know, you should know all your friends right off the top of your head, but I kept, whenever I would think like, I want to do something tonight, and whether we have a sitter or Sherry's out of town or whatever, it's like, hey, I have a few hours free. I would always be like, well, who should I hang out with? And now coming to this doc, it is so helpful because it's like, well, I know, you know, she and I are going to talk about this. He and I are going to talk about that. You know, what, who do I want to, what do I want to talk about tonight? And so then I will, I'll handpick and I try to be intentional about, with certain people, I will schedule a month out and be like, next month, we're going to do a two-hour dinner, yeah. you know, and maybe even get three of us together. So whether it's a calendar reminder or whether it's just me, um, you know, it, it uh, you know, kind of hitting me, hey, I need to do that. That's where I think day-to-day it plays out. So yeah. my wife and I do go out um, on the town with friends, you know, I'd say one night, maybe two each week. And... Part of that is we have the luxury of we've found really good babysitters, and part of that is having. You I was going to say, means. how old are your kids? Two. We have two sevens and an eleven. Okay, so they're yeah yep. same same. I have a ten, eight, and two, so yep. you know roughly. So yeah, you I you you and I both know what that stage is like, and um, are do you have to be just really intentional and almost kind of ruthless about guarding that time? I mean, I I find that like my wife, just even us having a date night is, is nearly impossible, you know? Um, and the only way I could see doing it is just like having to be really like, uh, really guarded, you know, and making sure that it happens, you know? Yeah. We put it, we literally put it, I mean, we'll put it on the calendar a week out and we'll either some, you know, some nights we, so our kids go to bed at eight o'clock and some nights we put them in bed and we'll just call, like there's a high school senior that lives a couple of houses down and we'll say, show up at 8.15. Yeah. And so we may only go out for two hours, but she doesn't, we don't have to teach her all the stuff of the dinner and the putting <laughs> the bed, you know, bed's a pain in the butt, right? Oh, yeah. But it's like, they're already in bed. She just shows up. She, you and I have two hours. That makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that we have over time, like our kids have gotten really used to having uh babysitters and and i think it's a skill you know i think yeah, the first time definitely. you do it the kids are all oh my gosh this is totally and then the fifth sixth seventh time you do it they don't care you know and yeah. everything's cool so um but about yeah intentionally about guarding the time i think certainly my wife has been uh, you know really good about suggesting like hey you and i should just go do this yeah. um and and i try to i don't do it as much but we also even 
like today it didn't wind up working but like we were she and i both work from home and we both have somewhat flexible schedules so we were gonna just jump out on the paddle boards for like 30 minutes this morning yeah you know as as a little time and obviously not <laughs> that's that's a bit of an outlier case but yeah um it's just thinking just making it one more thing you know we always have these to-do lists in our head of like all right so i gotta do laundry this week i gotta yeah. do this i gotta do that but like having that just as one more item of like alone time with the spouse two hours how do i make that work this week okay. yeah there's got to be somewhere we can fit it in can i just take a lunch can i meet her downtown you know she used to come and meet me downtown minneapolis um just for you know one lunch every once in a while and it was a way to kind of fit it in did you ever go through a period where like there's been periods i would say or maybe in one of them now even where life is so busy because i'm i'm at the start of a new business and you almost forget how to be alone with each other, you know, um, yep. especially when you have kids and everything, it's like you go out on a date and it's, it's like a freaking, you know, it's, it's like a first date. It's like, I don't know what to say right now. It's like, we could talk about yeah. the kids or work, but other than that, it's like, I don't know. And so, um, yep. uh, did you ever, you know, throughout drip and all the businesses and things, um, did, did that, you know, did you ever have that happen or? or Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's totally natural. And we've gone out at times and one of us will say, all right, so we're going to go out and when we can't talk about the kids and we can't talk about <laughs> yeah. our work. And then it's like, whoa, this is like achievement unlocked if we can, if we can do that for yeah. a couple hours. Right. Cause it's like, really now, what do you, what do you, what are we talking about? You know, what else is there aside from, we're not going to plan schedules and, yeah. and dive into these, these well-worn topics that <laughs> A, may either be stressful or B, just aren't you know aren't aren't that unwinding what's funny is this is totally not planned but uh sherry and i recorded a six um it's a six uh kind of module video course that is is about this it's called founder date night boot camp and we really? it's not launched yet but we do yeah if you go to zenfounder.com uh one of the products listed there um Again, it's just a landing page right now with email capture, but we are going to be launching that in, I, I don't know, the next couple of weeks or, or month or I don't know exact time, but like the whole thing's done. It comes with worksheets and it's exactly this. It's like a curriculum that each each one is a different topic. So it's like, you know, one is the topic of... Uh, of, of sex and one's about, um, you know, connecting deeper. I don't know. There's just yeah, you yeah. Know, a, no, a bunch sense. of different stuff. And there's a, again, there's a worksheet with like questions to go through. And I, I don't know when she, she suggested the idea of like, Hey, should we do this? I was like, I love this idea. Yeah. Like I, this is the best idea ever for exactly the reason you're talking about it. There's just sometimes, you know, maybe you don't do six in a row, but there's just sometimes when you need a little help, you know? Well, I love it when like tech quote tech people you know like this that type of thing would seem unexpected you know um from yep. you but um it's something that you clearly have um ex, ex, have experienced and some of these kinds of topics are things that we just you know just just don't get talked about and um but yeah. everyone deals with them and so um, so I love it when people make things like this. Is this a, is this like an in, is this like an in person thing or is it a, a, a like a an online course kind of thing? It's online, yeah. It's videos, so okay. it's like six. It's six twenty minute. They're pretty dense uh, twenty minute videos that you're supposed to watch. You can watch them independently or you can watch them together. But that's the prep for that that night, right? So you watch one video oh, and it gives you like this is the topic. Here's the stuff to think about. And Sherry and I are kind of just talking it through, and um, and then there's like. Uh, you know, a handout with kind of some questions that are within that same topic that you then discuss on the date. In yeah. Essence. 
So, no, I can't. Man, I'm I'm really excited. I'm, sign me up, man. I'm excited for that to come out. <laughs> okay, um, cool. That would it's be just so funny. Yeah. yeah, it's so funny you mentioned that because it is a common thing. You know, my wife's a clinical psychologist who. Is, is, oh, well, that must know, be fun. <laughs> well, and, but she's been married to a founder for 18 years. She's, you know, spoken at many microconfs and has written this book. Yeah. And so she has that, she has that dual expertise, you know, of being both a psychologist and in the founder space. Yeah. Um, and so that's really where, kind of where this, this came out. Well, I, I don't know how we uh, did the whole show without talking about um, really uh, startups or business right. or, or code <laughs> or any of the things I intended to talk about. So totally. um, maybe we'll have to do a, a round two at some point. But w- w- one thing I, I do want to ask you kind of wrapping things up is um, this is something I think about all the time. And I think it's useful for people who are, you know, maybe where you were 10 years ago rather than now. But um, what... What did you think, and I've asked you this in sort of different ways already, but what did, what did you um, think uh, 10 years ago or whenever it was that you were starting, you know, you were, you were starting drip or, or, you know, you were in those early stages. What did you think was really important then? um, And what do you think is important now? So I guess in other words, what, what did you, what were you really stressing over that maybe you realized that wasn't a big deal, you know, like how have those things uh, changed now that you're on the other side of it? Because most people who are where you were then are probably wanting to get to where you are now. And uh, just even in the two months that my business has been going, it's all I've already seen my goals and my expectations change as far as what I thought it was going to be. And and so I can imagine only imagine over years how dramatic that change might be. So I don't know. Is that, do you understand what I'm saying? That's kind of a confusing question. No, I, th- I think I do. Um, I may have touched on it earlier in that what I really wanted once I, I really wanted to enjoy what I do on a day-to-day basis because we do it for so many hours in yeah. a week, right? Mm-hmm. And for a couple years, I loved just being a salaried programmer working on .com websites. It was yeah. so much fun. And then... the company went out of business and to be honest, it was starting to get less fun. And then I was a contractor and I was like, this is the best thing ever. You know, like I said, I made more money and I had a bunch of, a lot more freedom than I ever thought I would. Then that got old. And so for me, it was finding that next thing. um, And it was always, it was finding more freedom on more axes is what it was. So I think freedom really becomes that underlying thing. And eventually of course, products, uh, products was the goal there. The thing that I think changed for me over that time, one was an understanding that um, that consulting work was not the end all be all that I thought it would be. I thought it was mm-hmm. I was going to be free when I, w- I would run my own business. You know, I'd be self employed and all that. And as we said, like you know, perhaps you you trade one boss for four or five bosses. They're called clients. You know, when you do that, <laughs> and perhaps you you really do have to still work. You know, your seven eight hour days. And um, I think I was kind of misunderstood that. I, I think the other thing, I really focused a lot on tactics yeah. back then. It was always like, how do I get to this next stage? And at the time, it's like, all right, so it's like Google AdWords, and I'm just going to dive into that. And then it's like Facebook ads, and I'm going to dive into that. And I think that's what why I was successful. But I also look back, and I read some like blog posts from that time, and I'm like, oh, boy. I really thought I knew a lot more than I did. Like yeah. I had no idea these things were going to work for like 12 months and then not. Yeah. You know, like yeah. th- it was this, there was this mindset of, well, I just found the, like the, the golden ticket. And yet in my head, it, this is it. This is the secret. Everyone should do this. 
and they should for about six to 12 months and then it's not going to work. And I think now that I've done all this, I realize that A, the further you get in, the less you know. And so now when I see the blog post about the person declaring that they know everything, I'm like, aha, they must have just had that. You know, I've been there. Like they yeah. must be you know, probably in their mid to late 20s and they mu- they're they so sure of themselves and they're using these things like always and never and, you know, these big bl- yeah. bold statements. It's like they haven't figured out that they don't know everything yet. And that's okay, but you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt. I think we all go through it. And now I realize like, oh boy, yeah, everything I'm still learning so much and I'm learning what things I don't know, you know, and, and the more I talk to advanced entrepreneurs and, and, and folks who have had, you know, exits or whatever, just had successful companies, that's potentially a thing is that this is a lifelong, lifelong uh, uh, learning about, you know, our limitations and about what we do and don't know. Well, I, I think where I was going with that is like, um, I don't know if it's even, I, I hate it when people ask me to tell me like the number one thing or the most important, you know, cause it's nearly impossible to sort of, um, narrow that down. But what I meant was, is from your perspective now, um, cause I'm in it. I, I this is, this is me asking, you know, for personally myself, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in those beginning stages and everything is chaotic and, I feel like I, you know, go from day to day, I go from, oh, this was such a great idea. This is going to just change my whole life to the next day. Like this is, you know, uh, I'm never, I'm never, I'm not going to make it out of the first quarter. This is killing me. And, you know, just chaos and a million things to do and trying to build a team. And then, you know, maybe the work isn't good enough and you got to, you know, just, there's just all these things. And so I guess where I was going with that question is looking back, you know, what because I'm sure you've experienced that so like what would you have told yourself that you know where I'm at I can't see yeah. yet a couple things one is it it's gonna be it's gonna take longer than you want it to and you're it's gonna be more of a slog than you want it to but it's gonna be worth it like this is what this I'm talking to myself yeah. here 10 years yeah. ago um, it's gonna be take longer than you want it to it's gonna be worth it it's not going to, but at the same time, it's not going to be this hard forever, right? It's like things will change. And in six months, all the things you're worried about today, you will have figured out. Yeah. There will be new problems and they'll be different, but yeah. hopefully, you know, founders are folks who desire new challenges, right? right. That's yeah. why we do this. So that's the, that's the good news, you know? Um, uh, I was going to say one other thing and I'm trying to. <laughs> I don't remember. There's so there's so much. Right? I know. I know, like, I know. That's why I said it's almost impossible to narrow it down yep. to one thing. But um, yep. it's there's th- there's one other. Is, oh, did you remember? I want to say. Yep. It is something that I'm not good at, and that my wife has encouraged me to do a lot. And I've started to become better and try to influence other people is to celebrate your wins. Hmm. Celebrate the wins when you have that that banner month, and maybe a banner month for you is is three hundred dollars in MRR growth, or maybe it's a thousand, or maybe it's ten thousand. Yeah celebrate that month man go out to dinner with your wife or or with your co-founder or whoever it is like really embrace that because they only come along every so often and if you don't celebrate them then it's all it's just all valleys you know you got to yeah. celebrate those peaks it's yes it's hard to remember those those positive uh positive times if you're not if you're not celebrating it yeah that that makes total sense you know and and it's it's weird that that advice um those two things is probably true of just about any life related question. <laughs> it's going to be, yeah. it's going to take longer and it's going to be harder, but it's going to be worth it. And so don't give up. You know what I mean? It, that yeah. could probably be true of just about, just about anything. But, um, 
but yes, especially right now in these beginning stages, it's so it's so hard sometimes. But um, totally. Anyway, man, thanks for coming on doing this. this was great. Like I, I love it when I I thought that we were going to talk about startups and business and and all this stuff, and then we end up talking about you know more life stuff. And I love it yeah. when that happens. So thanks for taking the time to do it. Um, I enjoyed getting to meet you at MicroConf, and I got to tell you, by the way, um, everyone that I talk to um, just fucking loves microconf i mean it's like i'm like what are the best conferences where can you meet like-minded people where are the least douchey places to go and everyone's <laughs> like i can't think of anything other than microconf i mean that's just uh, that's the one you know that's awesome and they don't yeah there's no really no others that people ever say so that's a big deal i think <laughs> that's a oh, something thanks. to be proud of but yeah. uh but anyway man yeah thanks for taking the time I, I really enjoyed it absolutely thanks for having me on man it was my pleasure That wasn't so bad. That was good, right? That was good. I enjoyed it. It's a cool dude, that Rob Walling. See, I'm doing it again. I'm just, I'm slipping into the Marin idioms and, and way of talking. I don't, he's just in my head, okay? Been listening to a lot of episodes lately and he's in my head. Sorry, folks. Sorry about it. I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope that it gets you thinking about some of this stuff. This is important stuff. This is important shit to deal with and... I'm still dealing with it. Definitely haven't figured it out. But you know what you can do? You can go to iTunes and subscribe to The Gently Mad, and then we can figure it out together week after week, right? Doesn't that sound awesome? All right. Enough sarcasm. Enough. Enough of everything. I'm, I'm ready to get on with my week at this point. I would appreciate it if you enjoy this show to tell someone about it or go leave me a rating and review on iTunes or subscribe and all that stuff. You can find... The show notes for this episode, the stuff we talked about at thegentlymad.com, and you can search for The Gently Mad in iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe there. I've got a bunch of great episodes that are going to be released soon over the coming weeks, so I don't think you'll regret it. There's a chance you'll regret it, but I don't think you will. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate you coming along on this uh podcast journey with me hope you have a great july 4th holiday and enjoy your family your time off whatever it is that you do for july 4th and i'll see you back here next week all right all right Yeah, no, I'm sort of just an old guy with a big tongue. That's I'm just a big old tongue old man. That's all that is. Um, that's sort of how many words am I at?